Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. So I just want to begin with a prayer, just to bless our Father, for He is good, and His chesed, His his loving kindness, his covenantal faithfulness, it endures forever. Blessed is the God who sent forth his son. Blessed is he who knew no sin, who became sin. Blessed is the God of Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov. Blessed is the mighty one of Jacob. All right. Amen. And so we're going to be looking at a familiar passage. It's coming from the gospel according to Luke. And that's chapter 14, 25 to 35. That's our main text. And it's the Messiah's call to come to me or come to him in answering the divine call. And I want to rest assured it is a divine call. It's a high calling. And so I do have to say that I don't have all the scriptures that I'm going to be speaking to you in slides. So if you have a phone or if you have your scriptures, I'd like to hear pages turning or marking notebooks because the power is in God's word, not in man's. Luke 14, 25 to 35, and that would be, now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all to observe, it began to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down to consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear let him hear. Hmm. Come to me. So we're going to be looking at, in the beginning, how there was this crowd of people, a large body of people. It says a great multitude was following Messiah Yeshua. And while that great multitude was following him, I believe he was deeply burdened in his heart for them to understand what it actually meant and the cost. So in the beginning, we're going to look at this, calling the multitude, coming to Messiah or to Christ is costly. It's very costly. And so... We're going to go back to the Torah, and there's a picture in the Torah that is going to kind of fill in exactly what Messiah is saying. It'll, it'll kind of support it. It'll be a testimony. So I'm going to give a brief summary. We're going to be going to Exodus 32, but in a brief summary, and Exodus 32 is the chapter where Moses is up on the holy mountain with God. And the people assemble and ask Aaron to make, make them gods. And, 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 you know, the people give Aaron their golden rings, and Aaron... <laughs> takes it and he forges it and heats it and he forges it and he makes a golden calf. And the people call this calf the God of Israel that brought them out of Egypt. 
And then they even, they burn offerings and peace offerings and have a feast and corrupt themselves morally. And then God tells Moshe what is happening and plans to destroy Israel and start all over with Moshe. But Moshe mediated the covenant on their behalf. Primarily for God's sake. Because what would people think of God if he couldn't fulfill everything that he said? So in verse 19, Moshe's anger boils and burns and breaks, and he breaks the two tablets of the covenant. And Moshe burns the idol, grounds it to powder, scatters it over the surface of the water, and makes them drink it. And so we pick up here in Exodus 32, 26 to 29. I wanted you to see something here because I just have a feeling that the multitude who came out with Moses had the same problem that the multitude while I was following Yeshua. They didn't discern the one, rightly the one they were following. Then Moses stood, this is um, Exodus 32, 26 to 29. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. I'm going to stop right there. I want you to consider when Yeshua was saying, come to me. Right at that moment, he was saying, those of you who are for the Lord should come to him. And then all the sons of Levi gathered together to him and said to them, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, dedicate yourselves today to the Lord for every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that he might bestow a blessing upon you today. That word dedicate in the Hebrew literally means to fill your hands. So the call to come to Messiah is a call to be with the sovereign Lord and to fill your hands with his works. It's a call to die to what you are or were, to Shemoth, to Exodus, to depart. They didn't understand that. I wonder if the majority of the people who are called by his name understand the same principle of departing. You see, this is a divine call. Our exodus from Egypt is from the world. It is a removal from a perishable kingdom by the good news, thus being called unto Messiah, unto him at the holy mountain in the first century Judea. And today it is to receive an everlasting kingdom. It's to be called forth from a perishable kingdom. To receive an imperishable, incorruptible inheritance. The, Moses said, look down. The people of God said they have corrupted themselves. They didn't discern the God they were serving. It's a call to fill your hands with, with imperishable works to lay up your treasures in heaven. Interesting enough, if you get the insight of when he says, fill your hands, the hands of the Levites were going to be getting put to the works of God's kingdom. Now consider when Yeshua said, if anyone come after me, what was he doing? So we're going to go to 1 Peter. I hope I literally can't see the slides. I, I just, my eyes don't work that well. So hopefully it's going well. If it's not, just listen to the scriptures and follow along in the Bible. In 1 Peter, and I don't have a slide for this one, 1, 14 to 25, Shimon is teaching this truth. But I want you to see that the gods of Egypt were perishable. I want you to see that God judged all. All of that which they were taken from. But because the people were accustomed 
to this world, they actually thought they were getting brought into an earthly kingdom like and unto the place they left. That might explain why today in the body you see so much things in the world when you're actually in the body in the midst of the believers. I think in Jewish thought, they said the people were literally indistinguishable between the Egyptians. They looked exactly like them. They acted like them. So in 1 Peter 1, 14 to 25, this is it. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which, you, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Messiah Yeshua. You will be able to see this connection between the exodus from Egypt and the preaching of the gospel with Messiah. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the, for the, for the sake of you, who, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purify your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. Hmm. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So just like this mixed multitude following Moshe, so a great multitude following Messiah have misconstrued what it means to follow him. And that misconstruing and that misconception is disastrous. This is what you see today. This is what you see today. And Messiah, just like Moses, calls and sets a people apart. So when you see Yeshua speaking about loving and hating your parents and mother and your father, that's actually an allusion to that event where they had to take up their swords and slay their own flesh and blood because they were on God's side. And what I'm saying today is not that we should rise up and take the sword as it was on Mount Sinai. What I'm saying is that we have to follow the very example of him who laid himself down for sinners. Let's look at Matthew 10, 35 to 39. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, 35 to 39, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he that will lose his life for my sake will find it. These are some sobering words for those who like a perishable kingdom. But the whole premise of what is happening is there is one type of man being presented and there's all the rest of a type of men being presented. In the end, I pray that God will show you that paying the cost to follow Messiah is a difference between a man having someone giving the whole world to a man and he loses his soul for a corruptible crown because the world's going to pass away 
But then someone offering you something that can't be taken from you, that is incorruptible, that is undefiled, that is set for you in heaven, then he lays it out in front of you. And you have to choose to follow him. You have to pay the cost. 200, how many did they say? 230, what is that? 230 million believers, they say, in this nation. So let's go back and look at this more closely because we're not just dealing with people not willing to deny themselves because it's not just, to, it's not just the kingdom that he took us from that is undefiled. He's trying to take us from a defiled humanity. And you see that defiled humanity when you stare in the mirror. In Exodus 32, 2 through 4, Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off their gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aharon. And he took, their, this, he took this from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, this is interesting because we go to the Brit Hadashah in Matthew chapter 16, 21 and 23. Yeshua foretells his death. From that time, Yeshua began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Shimon or Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me. Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. In Egypt, they have this theology that God is in everything. And so in Egypt, they really believe that, that this man who was their king, this pharaoh, he would take on the deity of Osiris. You need to understand something about what was happening. See, when you're getting called to separate from your sovereignty or your autonomous strength over your own self, God is actually dealing with their thought process that they had the right to rule and to worship in ways that they desired and, and be their own God. See, the golden calf literally is what you would call a God self icon. It's a picture of man. It goes all the way back to the garden when men were like they can be as gods. And so, of a truth, Peter had a view of the Messiah that fit his view. So do all of us here. The people had, a, had an image of God, even though he said, you know, in, in Exodus chapter 20, even though he told them not to make an image, they resorted to operating from the place from which they were familiar what were they familiar with? Their own corruption. How many of you like gangrene? How many of you would fight tooth and nail to keep that toe that's black and dying and needs to be removed? I'm speaking to somebody today. You see, you need to choose. Either that thing has to be cut off. You'll either love the one and hate the other. So the reality is, is that they weren't, they weren't willing, those who built the calf, to see that the things that they made with hands, which is corruptible because you can't actually make an infinite an image of an infinite God. Human beings cannot do that. But the, the interesting thing is God himself accomplished it. But the fact of the matter is that that's the problem with people. The people, the biggest sin of this nation is our people are worshiping and following themselves. The biggest, and this is why we are easily so divided right now. What is your God self icon? Conservative Republican? What is it? Black Lives Matter? Maybe if you're Hebrew Israelite, maybe it's... What are you looking to? 
What do you spend countless hours before? See, the Messiah was saying, all that you have. He's going to take the images like, this is why Messiah preached so hard. I want you to really see this. Messiah preached so hard because he was doing what Moses did. He told the Pharisees, the Sadducees, he dealt with Essenes, he dealt with Herodians, he dealt with, with publicans, he dealt with all the sinners from top to the bottom, to the Romans, to the Gentiles. Everybody was going to be found guilty. And what he would do is he would take the very idol that they had of themselves or their system or their way and that they exalted against the knowledge of God and he would heat it up and then he would put it in powder and then he would put it in water and then he would make you drink it until your belly became over, you became full of disgust. And then maybe, just maybe, you would say, and you consider the God that they drank is the God that they expelled. It's meaningless. So it is anything you take and put over a holy God. Consider. In Jeremiah 2.13, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and to hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. See, you got to, in that broken system, is themselves. And people go, why do you keep saying that? Well, if you don't understand why people in yoga bow to someone else and say what they say, because they're bowing to the divinity in the other person. Or what they say it is, I'm telling you that the images of the gods that they worship were patterned after men. And the only reason that they followed those gods is because they had an idolatrous heart. They wouldn't separate from them. See, this is a call to be in an incorruptible, undefiled relationship. Everyone I know, how many of you married love that? Every one of you. How many of us think that's how it should be with the one who is greater than our earthly wife or husband? Should be everyone. It really should be. How many of you understand the marriage vows that you've received when you, when you heard this Messiah who is offering something so incredible himself? Have yet to see the, all the trinkets and the lights of Vanity Fair are just to take away and to draw you away, your affections. You see, in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 9, it says, For they themselves report, us to, report to us what kind of reception we had with you. For you have turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And this is what it is. Most of the time when you look at the passage in, in Luke, you keep thinking, it, it, this incredible fear comes on you and me about denying yourself. This incredible apprehension comes against us and we, and we begin to be fearful. Sometimes we think we don't, whether we're afraid of what he's going to ask us to do or sometimes we're just weak and we're like, man, I'm, I'm going to fail miserably. <laughs> but you have to understand you're dealing with a good shepherd. If you knew that you leading yourself was like having a whole leg covered in gangrene, it would be a lot easier for you to deny yourself. You wouldn't have to sit back and make excuses. Hmm. See, he's calling us to a divine choice, which is to come to him. To turn from your great idol of the old man, which is the God self icon, the one that wars against God, and put off that old man and put your trust in Messiah, and put on the new man, which is being created in the image of him that calls us. Just how valuable is he to you? Is he a Treasure hidden in the field. 
I'm going to quote a quick scripture from, Zeb, from Judges 5, um, 18. It says, Zebulun was a people who despised their lives even to death. If you have a hard time interpreting the passage from what Yeshua is saying, you go to that passage and read the context in the book of Judges. And this is during the time when Deborah was judged. And this, their army was so under, under, I mean, they didn't have their weapons. They didn't have, everything was against their odds except for what God said. And so, instead of Serve, instead of following through what you would do based on your reason and your knowledge and your understanding, they completely cast themselves upon the will of God. And they didn't love their own life. It says they hated their own lives. That's exactly what Yeshua says. So that's what he's talking about. It wasn't their preference. It was what God said. And because when God's, what God says becomes your preference, and great joy enters your heart. They, that you can see why we sit back and I'm talking to people and, you know, some people are pre preparing, you know, they're, 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 they're wanting to fight what's going on. And I, and, I, and I really consider and I think, you know, I said maybe they should take a page from the apostles who are dealing with the Jerusalem council. Maybe they need to learn to rejoice that they get to participate in the sufferings of Messiah. That's not the American way. Well, America is a corruptible kingdom. Proven by what you see. Did you notice the language that Peter says that like strangers and pilgrims? Same language he used with Abraham. He's talking about having a citizenship that is greater than the citizenship here. Does it mean you're a bad citizen? Does it mean you aren't faithful? It just means that you are a citizen of a kingdom and you long for that place, which is your home. Hmm. All right. So we're going to go to this one last slide here. And this is Matthew 10, 37 to 39. And it's like repeating myself, but I have to. I'm not that interested in just giving you something to hear and go and talk about it later. I don't care about that at all. I really don't. I'm not even care. I don't really care if you even like what I'm saying. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's another interpretation you need to take. Put it in your belt. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Maybe you think of Eli. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Hmm. And so the Messiah is talking about being made worthy. They were made worthy because they made the choice to follow God, not just by their own will, God draws them into them. Do you realize that this distinguishes when you get to see those who walk with God and those who not? And this is what you're going to see in these days. This is why I'm actually speaking to you. People are deconstructing. People are revealing who they walk with. They walk with the Messiah that follows the trends of the age. If the trends say that you can sleep with the same gender, they promote it. They fashion their own Messiah. If the trends say Yeshua is a Kabbalistic master, they teach it. He's Metatron. Atrocious. You see... Are you willing to take a stand for the one you say you believe in? So many of us are so afraid of losing what we have. And again, I have to say this to you. You cannot be his disciple. Because if you suffer the loss of all things, they can never take it from you. I'm saying this to you because if you're not prepared, 
then you're not listening to the call of the master. He can keep you all the way to the very end. And you might never suffer loss or anything, but it might be his will that everywhere you go, stripes and beatings and abuse come before you for his glory. And it doesn't mean you're out of his will. It just means that's what he's calling you to. Oh, listen. Are you a patriot of God's kingdom? Are you? Hmm. I need to keep going. There's a lot of stuff here. All right. And this is why. In Philippians 3, 17 through 21, you're going to understand this. I just, I had to skip at least one scripture so far. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Messiah whose end is their destruction, whose God is their appetite, or in the, or in the King James it says their belly. Keep thinking about what Moses made to me. Whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven. This is a man who is of Israel. But he was, gonna, he was called to a heavenly calling. He didn't forsake his national identity. He was made a stranger in the earth like his forefather Avram until the return and then the coming of his Lord. I haven't stopped. From which we also eagerly wait for our Savior, our Lord Yeshua, Messiah, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of his power that he has even to subject all things to himself. The, the reason why all Congress and, and all the things they're doing in Canada or what they're doing in Australia, why they're not dead is because the same one who upholds Jews is allowing them to keep existing. There's not one atom that can operate in a man unless God lets it. And the same power, he said, is even subject to all things to himself, which means the very word that spoke all things into existence, the very word made flesh is calling you, come unto him. And you see the most rebellious creatures outside of Satan himself say, no. But you see the ones who have the humble state and recognize who they are and their desperate need and they run to him. They see the compassion of the Lord and the mercy of God. Do you know that they can't hurt one, lay one hand, hand on your head unless he lets them? And so this is what you have to consider. I'm going to have to skip a couple of verses. I'm going to read... I normally don't. I'm going to read this. Well, I'm going to read it. And Yeshua answered them, saying, This is John 12, 23 to 26. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I'm going to have to pass on this. It's a divine scandal. Human beings don't like to be shown the truth about our condition. It's pretty scandalous, actually, and why the world repudiates and hates the good news. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 24, this is Paul's thoughts on it. It says, the wisdom of God. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I would destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness 
of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age, of this age? Has he not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, so whence, so whence in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Messiah crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. That has not changed. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, Messiah, the power of God and the wisdom of God, that is a scandalous thing to the world. It is. And we have to ask ourselves, are we ashamed of this message that the world hates? Normally, being ashamed is when we, when we water something down maybe a little bit or we cover it over. We kind of hide it. We hide the offense of it. I, I, like, people like to say, oh, you know, the Greek Yeshua. And I always think about this funny thing. I was like, you know, you know those Greek believers that used to tell the, their own brethren that there is, no, there is no other God? Under the penalty of death, they, they were called the atheists because they wouldn't sprinkle. I see in them the very life that was in the apostles, which is the very life of Messiah Yeshua himself. So as for you, you have to consider what I'm talking about. Do you understand you're going to have to wrestle through with these verses? Who's the center of your universe? You? It's like you won't leave it. Me? Sadly, I say for so much, it seems like it is. But when I was given sight, I don't know why it's bumping. For when I was given sight, the Lord showed me what he's offered, something that cannot be replaced. It doesn't diminish. It was when I set my mind on heavenly things and put that which was written in his word in my heart and shut off the YouTube and the news radio. It was when I started to actually think I needed to literally obey what he said. Instead of having this mental ascension, which we always accuse Christians with, which makes me laugh. You're not any better than them. Not even a And if you are, prove it by what you do. Who do you glorify when you're in that conversation and when things get tough? Do you know the art of dying to yourself? Do you understand what mortification and what the cross is for? Hmm. Not so much. Some of the old writers, the apostles taught it extensively. And the old Puritans and those, they take it expensive, you know, very thoroughly. And it's even in some of the Jewish writings about dealing with your sin. For the cross does not just deal, he didn't just die for you, but he came to die to destroy those works in you. But boy, that's... Why do you think you have so many people who say they can mentally ascend and be Christians without serving Christ? Why do you see so many people who said, I'm a messianic, but their lives are, filled with, their lives are not following the Messiah? Because they, they, they've removed the actual reality because it costs them too much to submit to him. Whoever you lend your members to is your master. Not, I pray, 20 years ago. Praise God if you did, actually. But we're called to persevere to the end. I'm talking a lot to us, and you're like, we're not talking about the power of the Spirit to do any of these things. 
Yeah, I'm going to get there. I'm talking to you like this because I'm realizing I'm going to have to throw this and I have to go. I have not a lot of time left. <laughs> the reality is I'm talking to you like this is because you don't see your need. So the words you hear don't have the effect. You read it and it doesn't have the power. God's word says, do this, put it down to you. You don't. Why? Why are there so many people who struggle with pornography who say they're believers? So many people who struggle with anger and jealousy and resentment. Why was there so much bickering and fighting over all these things, but very few people are more concerned about the name of the one who they said they believe? See, a servant doesn't consider himself, but the one whom he serves. Hmm. So the scandal is, I'm going to have to kind of group in a bunch of scriptures to get to where I need to go. The scandal is this. You're not coming to God just because you want to. The scandal is no one comes unto the Father unless God draws them. The scandal is that you don't go in and make yourself have a new heart. The children of Israel didn't decide this day we're going to get up out of Egypt. By what power did they get out of Egypt? By what power do you think any of you can come out of your own trespasses and sins? I'll just get up by my own bootstraps. No, you won't. You'll serve the prince of this world. Unless a supernatural work of grace has brought you like the children of Israel who cried out against the cruel oppressors. And there's cruel oppression with sin and arrogance and pride and wrong understanding and following all these groups getting divided up by the plans of the so-called masters. And all they are are like little ants sitting under the footstool of my God. The Chinese aren't scared of the Chinese Communist Party like the American believers. They... You know, you know what the Chinese said? This is one of the most amazing things. You know the best thing they said ever happened to them? Is when God moved the American church out when the communists came. They actually said that because they needed to die. And they went underground. They had to be smashed to bits until they had nothing but him. Now they're dangerous. Just like these people. Dangerous because they have one master. And they're going to follow him. It doesn't matter what the cost is. So that scandal is that it takes God's grace to come to faith. A scandal is that he tells his apostles in John 15, you didn't choose me, I chose you. It's scandalous to hear somebody say that. You can't tell me I can't come to you. Man, you can't even stop from thinking of this. Now name all the stuff that come into your head. How much is the folly that we experience over and over? No, it takes humility. Oh, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. God looks on that heart and says, I will. And then the one who sees his frame as something's corruptible, something that needs to be changed, something that needs to be made new, what happens with them? They depart from it. They take flight, the old Puritan said. They would run. I grew up in the hood. When you see some brother just running down the street, you'd be like, oh, he's gone. They chase him. He's running. He's trying to get away. Well, you might have to take flight to him. You need to. Slides, um, Luke 14, 27. Crucified with Messiah. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Carrying or taking up your cross in context 
with the first century Jew was, to, was a call to the most grievous, painful, shameful, and accursed deaths imaginable. So to us today, Messiah is literally saying that following him means we will experience shocking reproaches, persecutions, mockings, even con condemnations and death for his name's sake. This, I mean, I don't agree with everything with Michael, Dr. Brown, Dr. Michael Brown, but the, the reality is he says in, in, in um, India, they won't even baptize you unless you're willing to die for Messiah. They won't because you might die tomorrow. And you'll renounce him. What level, what, what are we looking to here? We need to turn away and see that incorruptible king who has had mercy on those who believed on him. He is not troubled at all. Actually, he sits up in heaven and he laughs. He's not scared at all. All his purposes and his will is going to be accomplished. All right. So obviously in Galatians, Paul, uh, Paul describes that, that it is no longer the he that lives, but Messiah lives in him. And the life which he now lives in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Considering this statement, he's talking about this is what it means to follow the Messiah. To follow the Messiah is to embody his teachings. Not to just read about them. Not to midrash about them for hours and never do it. He was really upset about that, actually, if you pay attention reading the scriptures. When they say gird up your loins for action, that's what he's talking about. Would this mean abandoning your family? No, it just means radically serving your king where you are and being willing to do whatever he says whenever he tells you to do it. All right. Oh, boy. All right. We're going to go all the way because all these scriptures I have, I can just tie them in. Time is short. In Romans 6, 5, and 11, it says this. If we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we will become in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we no longer be slaves to sin, for he who is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. That's your hope. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the light that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God and Messiah. Do you know if you study all of Exodus, it is absolutely the picture of all the, of the, the, the walk of a disciple and them went all through it, resisting and never willing, trusting God, always wanting to go back and serve the old man. Because the implications of them surrendering meant they would have to lay down their control. And God is so faithful enough to put you in the circumstance just to bring those things up in you. He lets them, he reveals them, he lets you see it. What is, this is the key. What do you think the cross is for? When you sin, to deal with it. Practically, by faith, you repent of your sins, or, or I mean, doctrinally, you, 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 you repent of your sins, but on a practical level, you just read what he said. You die to it. You deal with your sin. You, we need to deal with us being divided up following all these little icons. We need to. Then we won't be so furious when the apostles rejoice. We'll be able to write letters like pastors in China 
crying out for the very people who abused him for 13, 14 years in prison. Then you give it to an American believer and they read it and they act like they're reading a foreign language. They don't even understand it. Because they love not their lives. They know where they're going. They have an incorruptible inheritance. They, their kingdom's not of this world. They're not trying to win. They're, they're understanding something here. And this is what God is calling you to understand. Make your choice. So finally, in Luke 14, 31 to 32, we're, we're the last two. Oh, 14, 31 to 32. This isn't an allegory. Just really listen. This is, he's, he's speaking to you directly. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace so that none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. The Messiah, he gives Two separate ones. One about one who is building, uh, the one who's building a building. And then he gives a second one about a king going to war. And he's letting you know that they had to first consider when you're building, you got to make sure you have the parts, that you have the financing, you have the, the correct workers. You got to really think about the implications of what you're doing. He's telling that to that crowd. I'm telling that to this crowd. You got to think about the implications of what you're doing. You have to think about the one whom you say you're following. He's not giving any suggestions. He's not a Torah commentator. The Torah's written about him. And this one who is written about is asking, will you forsake everything for me? Am I more valuable? Are you like Mary? Did she chose you know, Messiahs are portion. If you really want to understand, which is I could have done a lot more technical, the discipleship, you can go into the first century Jewish model. I prefer to actually, if we were to go in it, I would, I would base that on going and studying the Levitical priesthood because you will see all the elements of it that are later codified in the way the rabbinic disciple people. If you look at Joshua and Moshe, if you, if you look at how their hands were filled and, and how they would sit at their feet, it's the same principle. It's actually all through the scriptures. And this is what she did when she sat at Yeshua's feet, Mary, when she was listening to his teachings. She submitted her whole being to him. He was more valuable than all the earthly treasures. I'm going to ask you right now, will you make that choice? Is God calling you to surrender all. Well, you don't have to look at how what you are once you aren't. He already knows that. Look at the apostles. Why did he choose who he chose? That should give us great confidence. And I'm not speaking ill of them. They're my elder brothers. I'm saying they have problems. They have struggles. But yet, by God's spirit and his grace, they forsook all for him. All right, past time. In conclusion, God is calling for those who will come near to him. To do it. This God can be trusted. He, even when he redeems you, he doesn't leave you a girl or a stranger. You restrain you in the earth, but not to this, the king of Israel. Thereby, he gives you a spirit of adoption. So I want you to compile your list of reasons why you can't forsake the world.
Paul says in Galatians that he was crucified to the world and the world unto him. Is that your faith? You're not going to see that priest on TV in. Unless they got a couple good guys on there because I don't watch it. I'm asking you to consider this, and that's why I'm waiting around and waiting for someone who's struggling, who's tired of being their own master. It's not really successful for you, is it? You're tired of trying to make him conform to what is the most common or popular opinion. It doesn't matter the circles. It can be Jewish or Gentile circles. So, in concluding, and in Romans, let me get the right passage. I'm going to read this passage. In Romans 8, verse 9 through 17. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Messiah, he does not belong to him. If Messiah is in you, then the body is dead because of sin. Yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give you, will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which, who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. And that's why. He told them to die to himself. Because if you say you're a believer and you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You should underline that verse because today there's so many charismatic or different types of people who say they're filled with the spirit of God, but they're carnal. The Holy Spirit didn't make them holy. They have some sort of power or some sort of charisma or some sort of something or other, but they don't have the power to suffer reproach or to take the lowest seat or to be small or to exalt the king. Am I saying I'm against the gifts of God? No. I am against the of people distort the truth of God's word. Listen. The Holy Spirit causes you to put to death sins. That used to be 101 Bible-believing believers theology. And it's not anymore. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testified with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs, also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And the music team can please come up and then I'm going to begin to pray. Have you ever seen any videos or seen somebody, especially a young person, is in squalor, like children? And your heart, when you see it, you're so grieved. And you're moved with compassion to reach out and to feed them or take them to the, do whatever you could. So is it that the father sent his son to people who are self-centered and self-seeking and serving themselves, seeing them covered in their own sin and what he's done is sent his son to call you unto himself to separate you 
from that which is contrary to him. To even put to death the old man, the old building, to condemn it. And he's done it upon a tree where the first men and women fell from eating from a tree. Then the second man or the second Adam comes and is put back on a tree to condemn the very sin. My God, I pray that we would see the infinite value and glory and praise of your son. That we would, there would be an insatiably hungry desire, uh, an earnest affection that we would with all of our hearts and minds as true, serve him. Just serve him. Just submit to him and live lives by him alone. Thus God might be glorified in his son. Amen.